every once in a while I come to this question and I ask myself, and I, it's, a, it's a question, I think if you're a thinking person, you ask this question sooner or later. And if you think a lot, you'll ask it more than once. What is this whole thing all about? <laughs> this whole world, what is it all about? And, amen, have you, th have you had that question? Yeah. And you read through the scriptures and you understand it and then it just kind of boggles your mind and then you kind of come to some another level of understanding and then your mind is kind of re-boggled, so to speak. And then you think of all the, just the whole world. You think of this, the vastness of the world, right? And you think of all the countries and all the the different nations that are, they've got their little thing going on and their, their economy and all the different people that, you know, I, I don't know if, I think, you know, about this, I think of all the different people in the world, like, you know, they've all got their little shops and their little carts and their little, you know, if you've traveled, you've seen this and everybody, you know, it's just, you've seen the, the vastness of, of the, of the world and the communities and the people and the individuals. And then you think of all the, the governments and the, the political structures and you think, wow, what is it all about? The best answer might be found here in our text tonight. Uh, in chapter 32, or chapter 11, verse 32. For God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. The Bible also says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every person is in the situation of needing God. So all those people across the world that we've just thought about for a second, every single life, every single man and woman and boy and girl is in need of the mercy of God. And so maybe you came in tonight thinking about how complex your life was, and then I want you to just multiply that by seven billion. And that's basically what we have in the world, and that's the complexity of the whole world. And, and God's plan is that he would have mercy on all, that they were committed, everyone, to disobedience, that he might have mercy, that he might bring those that would come to him, that would choose him, that would want to know him, that, that he would bring them into his family and into his, his mercy and and into his love. So Paul is, is kind of finishing up this section as we've been going through this section in Romans 11. Finishes up, really, it's been kind of a discourse on the mercy of God. And we find that even Paul here is overwhelmed with the mercy of God. So I guess there's a lot to be overwhelmed with in life, Right? And I guess if you had to choose anything to be overwhelmed with, maybe the mercy of God might be the thing that we should be overwhelmed with. Amen? Um, so just looking at this whole thing, there is a fullness of, there is a number, there is a fullness of the people that will come in and find the mercy of God. So, so Paul picks it up in chapter 11, verse 25. He says this, For I do not desire, brothers, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion 
that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So there is a fullness of the number of the people that will come in and find the mercy of God that will come to the mercy of God. So Paul's continuing his discussion on the mercy of God and the mercy of God is vast and complete. So I put that in your mind about the 7 billion people and tried to make it really kind of vast because you think of all the different uh, things going on in your life and there, there's not just one thing, there's, there's all kinds of things and that's when people get overwhelmed, right? People get overwhelmed in their life when they, when they think about, you know, they've got this thing going on and then it's this thing and then everything stacks up and then it's like this whole overwhelming thing. And God's mercy is available, God's grace is available for you for every one of those situations. There's, there's the mercy of God, there's the, the grace of God that he has for you for everything. And then you multiply that by seven billion and it's, it's, an, it's, an enormous, it's an enormous situation. So you think of the grace of God that must be available, the mercy of God, the, just, the, just the volume of the mercy of God is, is wild to think about. And then couple that with the fact that God is bringing to him a people. He's bringing a, a, a group of people out of the world and... And, uh, and, and this happened, Paul has been making this argument that this happened, that whereas it was offered first to the Jews, but the Jews in large part have rejected that. And their rejection of it has, brought, has opened it up to the world, to the Gentile world, to the people who were not Jews. And, and so this is actually what's been happening now for 2,000 years since, since the gospel was opened up to the Jews and all those verses or the Gentiles, and all these verses that we think about, you know, that they're, 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 the, the Gentiles would, would seek him, and all these types of verses that are being fulfilled. But then there's kind of, as we move towards the end of days and the end times, that this blindness and this rejection of God that, is, of, that the Jews are kind of doing and going through right now, that's going to be, you know, reversed, that there will be a remnant of people, and there will be a uh, a, a remnant of the Jews, there will be a, a, an ingathering of Jews that receive Christ, that, that come to understand the mercy of God available through Christ. But Paul calls this a mercy, a mystery, a mystery in, in the gospel um, that you would have the Jews, you would have the gospel plan delivered by the Jews, it would come through the Jews, the law and the and the prophets and the prophecies of Christ, and then the gospel would happen and be fulfilled, offered to the Jews. They would reject it, and then it's offered to the Gentiles. And this is a whole mystery. This is a mystery of the gospel that 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 there would be a number that would come in, and this this is how God has gone about it. This is how God has done it. And so Paul made the argument in our last section about how this is this there's a there hopefully would be a kind of a jealousy on the part of the Jews because now the the Gentile world has received the goodness of the gospel and the goodness of God. 
Oh, so there's, there's the mystery of God's mercy. The rejection of Jesus by the Jews has brought salvation to the Gentiles. This blindness in part on the, on the part of Israel has happened until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. So this is a famous verse, actually, that we read here. This is a verse that we talk about a lot when it's brought up a lot in end times talk because there is this idea when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, then there's going to be this opening of the eyes of the, of the, of the Jewish people, and they're going to, there's going to be that remnant that's going to come in. And so there is a fullness of the Gentiles come in, and then there's the fullness of the Jews to come in. And so all those that God foreknew will be saved. Um, so we see this in different numbers in the Bible. Um, and I've mentioned this before, and I'll mention it again here. You know, I think there is a significance to the, to the, to the last catch of fish, the last miraculous catch of fish in John, the last part of John, where you, know, you, have, two, you have two catches. You have the miraculous catch of fish when he first called the disciples, and then you have the ministry of Christ and the death of Christ, the burial, the resurrection. And then after the resurrection, you have this other uh, re- uh, catch of fish, miraculous catch of fish. The, the, there's a couple differences, but one of the main ones is the first one, you have no exact number of the fish. It's just this number. And some of them are actually lost. The nets break and, and, and may, they're not able to contain all the, the, this number of fish. But then in the last one, in, in the last part of the Gospel of John, there is the exact number given, and it's 153 fish. And it's just kind of an obscure number, and I, I, I think it goes to the fact that there is a number, uh, and, and God is going to... Uh, and, and, and the other interesting part of that, when you can read that in John, is that none of the fish are lost. The nets don't break. The, every one of them that was caught was caught. And so I think that, that there is that kind of idea that God has that number. The fullness of the Gentiles is going to come in uh, and then the fullness of the Jews. And so then we see the fullness, we see the number of the fullness of the Jews in, the, in, the, in Revelation in chapter 7 and we mentioned this pre, uh, recently, um, the 144,000, right? This remnant of the 144,000 uh, that are going to be marked and, and so you have have that. So you do have this idea of the 140 or the, of the of the, the the number, the fullness coming in of the Gentiles and of the of the Jewish people. And this is all going to begin to happen um, toward the end. I mean there may be kind of inklings of it and there is some, you know, you hear different things and I, you know, I see stuff on the internet about, you know, these Jews, you know, accepting Christ or some rabbi that, you know, scruffy looking rabbi that like, you know, understands that Jesus is the, is the Christ and the, you know, all that. Um, it's going to, I think the, that's going to kind of pick up when we get closer to the end times, because there's going to be more and more, um, uh, you know, kind of oppression of the Jews. And of course, you know, and, and of Israel specifically, national, and that's, that's just national, a national concept of construction of, of the Jewish people. Um, and, you know, this is going to just get more and more, but it's been going on since the Garden of Eden, right? 
um, you know, part of the curse was that there would be enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. You know, and there's always been this battle of seeds. We talked about this in Genesis, you know, this battle of seeds. And there's always been those that have tried to squash out the seed of the woman, you know, down through history. You know, you, you remember, um, you know, just a couple examples of that. You had the, the Pharaoh who saw that the Jewish people were becoming a, a big group. And he said, well, we're going we're gonna to stop that from happening. We're going to, you know, we're going to kill a few of them. You know, and he had that decree of, the, of the, uh, the, the baby boys being cast into the, into the, you know, into the river and killed. And, of course, you know, Moses was saved out from that, right? The, the liver of Israel was saved out from that attack on the seed of the woman. But then there was, there's been other attacks. There's been other attacks. I mean, you can go through the whole Old Testament and you can track the attack against the seed of the woman. Remember Esther, yeah. you know, when they wanted to, to kill the Jews and, you know, the, he had the you know, guillotine set up and, you know, the, the whole thing, right? And um, and then on and on and on. And then on this side of the cross, all the way down through history, in, up until the 20th century, and then you had, you know, you had Hitler. You know, and there's always been this attack on the seed of the woman. And we're, and we're a part of that as the church. We're a part of that. That there's, there's a, because we're a part, we're, we're a part of that true seed, right? If you're, if you're a, a member of Christ, if you're a member of the family of God, you are the seed of, of Abraham. You're the, you're the true seed of God. You're the child of God. And so in that sense, you have the seed of the woman under attack. And Christians today are amongst the most attacked. I just saw a recent report that said the persecution globally against the church and against Christians specifically is, 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 is just at a high where, where Christians are being attacked. And, and, you know, you have to pay attention. You have to pay attention to it because in, in the United States, you can, be, you can insulate yourself from this type of news. So you have to pay attention to it, and you can see what's happening globally. You see what was happening um, just in the Middle East with the likes of ISIS and things, and then you see what's happening in China and, and all over, right? But God's bringing in a number. He's bringing in the fullness of the Gentiles and the fullness of the Jews, and I think this is going to begin to go up as you enter into the end times and the, the, the attack against the people, the seed, in that sense, nationalistic Israel kind of heightens. And so you have a couple of places prophesied in Scripture about this. One of the most famous places is in Ezekiel 38, where there is an attack against the conspiracy of nations you know, that come against Israel. And that attack is thwarted, and it, it will ultimately bring those people to a place of crying out to God. Because, okay, right now you have, I just saw this, 
the last couple days, there's been 250 rockets uh, tossed into uh, Israel uh, from Gaza, I believe. And, um, and so Israel has a, a protection, missile protection system. They call it the Iron Dome, right? And, you know, oh, we, we trust in the Iron Dome, right? We trust in the Iron Dome. Well, who knows what's going to happen in the end when, you know, we'll see how, how far that Iron Dome can be tested and put to the limits of, of what it can withstand when you have a confederacy of nations uh, coming against it. I, I do know this from Scripture, though. Whenever you attack Israel, um, it doesn't seem to, to you know, when, when God's there to protect, it doesn't seem to go well, right? And, and God is in that Ezekiel 38, if you want to read that section of Ezekiel 38 and into the first part of Ezekiel 39, it talks about that attack of, of Gog and Magog and, and, um, and how that's going to go down. And it's ultimately going to bring Israel, those people that are there, to a point of, of actually crying out for salvation. And um, that's going to be a good thing. So the fullness of Israel will be saved. The fullness of Israel will be saved. The fullness of the Gentiles will come in. The fullness of, the Isra- of Israel will be saved. And so I want to throw a verse of Scripture. We read it a couple weeks ago earlier in this chapter, Romans chapter 11, verse 12. Paul said this, Now if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? Okay, so then there is this fullness of Israel coming back in, right? And so in this sense, there is an eschatological connection to, this, to the mystery, to the, to the complete playing out of mystery. I mean, we've been in the age of grace, the age of the church for 2,000 years. Um, but as we get closer to the end, end times, um, you know, then, 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 you know, then you see where that, the significance of the fullness of Israel coming in does tie into the eschatology in the, in, the, in the end. But you say, well, what is all the purpose of it? Why is all of it happening? So God wants to give mercy to the Jews and then to the Gentiles and then to the Jews again and bring in this fullness. Well, it's all for God, mm-hmm. right? It's all for God. Let's pick it up, verse 28. He says this, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gift and the calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so... These also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. And so it seems as though the Jews are enemies of God. They reject the gospel. But God is not done with the Jewish people. They are the chosen. They are chosen. And for whatever reason, they... You know, they, they've rejected God, they've rejected Christ. I mean, if you talk to most Jews today, 
Most Jews alive today are not practice, they're not Orthodox Jews. In fact, most Jews today would see it only as a nationality. They would see only as an ethnicity. Um, in fact, there's a lot of Jews actually that it's, and, and this is one that's always boggled my mind, is to come to understand that most Jews not only just reject God and whatever, that like they're honestly a lot of them professed atheists. So like here they have this ethnicity that's tied to like God choosing them and all this, but yet they don't even believe in God, many of them, which is, which is kind of wild. But I see things happening right now. Um, I see things happening that are very interesting where um, ethnic Jews are being shown the gospel. They're being put in situations where they're having to con- come face to face. Um, even Ben Shapiro, um, if, you, if you follow him at all, and, and he has a Sunday uh, talk hour. Well, it's a, it's a pre-recorded thing, and they publish it on Sunday. It's called the Sunday Special. So they, they film it at some time, and then they release it on Sunday. So he, he has one person where he sits down and talks to them for an hour. And it's kind of a who's who of all kinds of people on both sides of the political uh, aisle, both sides of the different philosophies as it pertains to monetary policy, and both sides of the issue of theism and atheism. So he'll have like a Sam Harris sit down, and then in recent months, in the last few weeks and months, he has had some of the top Christian apologists on the show, on the program. William Lane Craig, um, Ravi, Zacharias, and, and I'm sitting there watching these, and I'm just sitting there thinking like, wow, uh, he's had he's had an unbelievable. I mean, he's had the who's who. I mean, if you were gonna pick, if you were gonna have like one of the most prominent Jews in America, and you were gonna say like, I would love to set up where where the you know we're gonna have we're gonna have our top draft picks of people that can present the gospel to him, and we're gonna have him sit down and tell him he's literally had that. He's literally had that. And then to top it off. I don't know if you're familiar with David Rubin, Dave Rubin of the Rubin Report, but he um, was just at a debate with uh, John Lennox, and this all happened at Calvary Costa Mesa. And this was the weekend that we were there when John Lennox was there and I talked to Pastor Brian and he and we just talked about how Dave and Dave Rubin was a guy that would be he would want to talk more about the ethnic Jewish side of things, you know, and and that whole thing. But here he's actually being exposed to some things that probably a couple years ago he would have never even thought of being exposed. Uh, to the level of, of of Christian presentation and discourse, so I see some of this stuff happening, 
and, and I'm encouraged. Um, so God does have a plan. God does have a plan where he's going to bring this remnant of Jews in. And that's where he gets it down here in chapter 11 here. And he says, uh, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Now, I always heard this growing up, this particular verse actually kind of brought out almost completely stripped of its context, <laughs> to be honest. It was always about, you know, um, you know, the, specifically about the calling of God on an individual or something being irrevocable, and I think that that's true. But taking a look at it in the context and understanding the gifts and the, and the calling placed upon the people of Israel is really what Paul is saying here. And he's saying those gifts, those riches that were given to them, we went through some of that. You know, remember we talked about the, the patriarchs and the legacy and the, and the, the, the law and the prophets and, the, and, and all of it, all those things, those things happened and the, that calling is irrevocable. And, and God is going to bring this fullness of the Jews back in. And so that's, so we can be confident in that. Um, the gifts and the calling are irrevocable. And, uh, and we need to be encouraged in that too. I mean, for those of us that have responded to the call of God and those of us who have received the gifts of God, those gifts and calling are irrevocable as well. And, um, and God is wanting to do a work. God is wanting to do a work in, in all, every person's life that he has called. Amen? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think what happens is to the, to the degree that people are submitted to that call and, and, and the gifts that have been given there's probably some type of a scale somewhere that shows to the degree that that God works in the life of a of a person and in a in a group and in in a nation. So so this is all for the Lord's sake to bring that remnant back to him. And then I think the last point Paul kind of wraps it up with this idea of kind of being filled with awe an awe of the majesty of the whole thing and that it is all for his glory. And, and um, so let's wrap, let's wrap this up by taking a look at that. Pick it up, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. And so Paul here concludes the section by giving praise to God and and glory to God, and you sense that Paul comes to a place of being kind of overwhelmed with it, overwhelmed with the vastness and the and just the plan of God. He's overwhelmed with God's wisdom and mercy. Look at that verse 33. It says, 
Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Now, I'm one that, you know, I believe God has called us to find out, to to search the scriptures, to learn of God, to learn, to become knowledgeable of him. And, and, and we are, and we can do that through the scriptures. Amen. We learn of God. We, we come to the knowledge of God and we, and we have that intimacy with God. So we come to that, that intimate knowledge of God, but there is an element that he's beyond us. Amen. I mean, he's like both approachable and a God that we can know and a God that we can kind of find out some things about, and he certainly has put his word out to us and saved that word for us, preserved that word uh, miraculously, I believe, through, throughout history, so that we can be here in 2019 and we can be reading this and we can know the Lord and we can know these things. But, um, but there's a certain part of him that is beyond our comprehension, that, there's, that he's beyond uh, searching out in that sense. Um, and so while, you know, I like trying to search out things and, and there is kind of a, a, a fun aspect to kind of searching out the scriptures and finding things and, and connecting dots and seeing how it all kind of fits together. And that's one thing that kind of actually really kind of excites me and gets me going. But as much as me or anyone else would seek to connect all the dots and kind of get it all figured out. I don't think there will be anyone that will fig- figure it all out. And the reason why is because God is, 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 is so much bigger than, than that. And we do see, like Paul says to the Corinthians, we do look through a, a glass darkly, you know, which is to say we, you know, we, we're, we're looking through the it's kind of like now when people come up to my shop because I got my windows tinted, they can't really see in there, and they're trying to find out if, if I'm there. And, and, um, and that's kind of how it is. We, we look through that glass darkly. Um, so I think that there's a sense of finding out things, searching God out, seeing all this, and the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God. But then there's kind of being overwhelmed with, with the majesty of it all, and the, His majesty, and, and just praising him. Paul says, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Do you know the mind of God? Now, God, God wants us to have the mind of God, of the, in this, that sense, the mind of Christ, right? That we need to have the mind of Christ, and we, we, we search that out in Scripture. When we know the Scripture, when we go through Scripture and the character of God comes through into our hearts and so that we have the mind of Christ. But what Paul's saying here is the, the, like the mind of God mm-hmm. that you know, can hold this whole thing that, you know, where he says in Colossians, in him all things consist, in him all things are held together, that he's got the whole world in his hands in that sense like we sung in children's church, but also in the sense that he's attentive to every prayer, he's attentive to every situation, he knows he's got a will and he's got a plan and he's got a, a, a plan for every single person. And so in that sense, who can know the mind of God in that sense? Um, who can counsel God? And this is a point of, of honestly being overwhelmed by the power and awesomeness of God, but also kind of adding in a little bit of humility. 
you know, that we have a, that we have a humility to our whole understanding of this and, 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 and saying, you know, who can counsel God? Can, can, you, can you give counsel to God? You know, you read the book of Job, and there's several sections in there where, where God has to challenge Job. And, and, you know, there's one particular chapter where God asks him a bunch of questions. I think it's like 70, it's like either 60 or 70 questions that, according to Chuck Missler, that we can only answer today, only answer 11 of them. <laughs> of the 70 questions that God asks Job in, in the book of Job, which was, consi- which was in terms, not in chronology of the events, but in terms of the dating of the writing, is considered to be the oldest book of the Old Testament. If you understood what I said there, not in terms of the, the timing of the events, but the writing of it. And fast forwarding to today, we still don't know where all the darkness is and where, you know, you look at all those questions. Um, and and all this stuff. So it's very interesting. Who can counsel God? Are you going to counsel God? And that that always amazes me because God has given a lot of counsel to men, but somehow men wants to counsel God, <laughs> and we have failed to actually seek out His counsel and obey His counsel. We would do better to obey His counsel than to try to give Him counsel. Amen. Or who has given first to God and, and that God would pay him back? This is the question. Who, would, who, who has given to God and now God is indebted to him to repay him? And this, this reminded me of a famous quotation from Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And this quote I'm going to give you is the section of, of Mere Christianity that gave a rise to an alternative Christian band back in the early 90s, uh, named their band after this section of mere Christianity, and they named themselves Sixpence None the Richer, mm-hmm. if you remember them. They did have a really super famous song that, that went top 40 called Kiss Me. Um, and so, but if you go back to the first album, that was like the real, that was kind of the poppy sappy stuff that came later, but like if you go back to the first album, Fatherless and the Widow, this is a great early 90s Christian alternative album. And I remember I had it, like no one knew who, the, who Sixpence was. And I was one of these kind of guys, I was like on the cutting edge of finding all these bands and stuff. And I remember like I found them when that album came out and it became like literally one of my favorite, favorite records, uh, CDs. But this is the quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, Every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving of your limbs from moment to moment is given you by God. If you devoted every moment of your life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not in a sense his own already. It is like a small child going to his father and saying, Daddy, give me six pence to buy you a birthday present. It is all very nice and proper, but only an idiot would think that the father is six pence to the good on the transaction. In other words, he's six pence 
none the richer, right? But he does it for the joy of having that child of his come and give to him. And that's why the lesson of it is that what's this all about? It's all for him. It's all for him. And the more that we kind of, the quicker we come to that conclusion through scripture and through revelation, the quicker that we have that understanding in our life, we realize that that's where we're ultimately fulfilled in the plan of God. Your life is ultimately fulfilled in the plan of God in understanding that it is the plan of God and to, to bring you to that place of, of, him, of you bringing that gift to him of your life, which is not putting him uh, back in the positive in any sense, but it is you being fulfilled in the plan of God. And in that sense, it's all for him. Amen? Everything is for God. And so we come to the last verse there where he says, verse 36, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. For of him and through him and to him are all things. For of him and through him and to him are all things. It's all for him. It's all for his glory. He created everything for him. You know? Now, this is the only way that it can make sense. This is the only way that this whole ball of wax makes sense because it certainly couldn't be about you. And it certainly couldn't be about me. So it has to be about him. It has to be for him and through him and for his glory. Amen? And I believe this is echoed in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verse 11, and I'll actually throw this on the screen. This is the scene where John is in heaven and he sees what's happening around the throne and the worship, the, the four living creatures, the 24 elders and everything that's happening. And this is what it said. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will, they exist and were created. Now, some of you might actually remember this from the King James, right? Where it says, for thy pleasure, right? Yeah. For thy good pleasure, they were and are created. For by your will, they exist and were created. It's for literally the pleasure of God to the glory of God that we, are, that we exist and are created. And I'll tell you what, if, if, we were, if we're down or down and out or confused or whatever, this is, a, this is a, a message, this is a couple scripture verses that can set you straight back to true north, let's recalibrate the, the compass mm -hmm. to true north in a, in a quickness to understand that it's all for him, for his glory, and that we're ultimately fulfilled in that and being a part of it.